0: Our scripture reading this morning is going to be found in Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 14. Um, Most of you can probably quote this with me as we go along. If you've seen the uh, Snoopy Christmas special, Linus always quotes this for everybody. Beautiful verses about the birth of Jesus. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David." in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger." And suddenly they appeared with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men, with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the gift of Jesus Christ, for being willing to come as a human being, suffer the humiliation of being a human and to bear even the death of the most humiliating death on earth, a cross, to pay for the sins of us. It's the greatest gift that the world rarely recognizes. I pray that this time in our hearts and maybe in this world for a change, we might all see that gift for what it is, how great it is, and that many, many, many this season might take that gift for the first time and have you as their Savior. We ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.
1: Good morning. Good to see you all here in this Lord's Day. Uh, Steve mentioned Wednesday night and our singing time when we were singing uh, the Christmas carols, and it was a most instructive time because we just went through each one, pretty much, and said, what's, what are some of the main messages? As you all know, we can sing songs, and you might like the tune, but what are the words saying? And so, too, with these Christmas carols, some of you have been singing them for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, and, and, but what does it mean? And so, it's, the, the two things struck me as I thought of the overall picture of these Christmas carols. One is, is, is God's getting glory. A lot of glory phrases, which is very important. That's the single most important thing. The other thing, it talked about peace on earth. And peace on earth didn't happen 2,000 years ago. It's going to happen in the future, though, because these, the themes of some of these, especially um, the joy of the world is, is the second coming. So you have the theme of the first coming, second coming, weaved in. And as Steve said before, um, prophets back then didn't know what was happening timing that is. We're celebrating Christmas this next Saturday. For most of us, we've celebrated Christmas many, many times before. I believe we all know the main message of Christmas. It's not the presents, it's not the food, it's not the family, but it's the person of Jesus Christ. And today I want to talk about Jesus and talk about the people that God picked to play a key role in his birth and in those early days and those early years. And Of course, God wants us to know that he works through people. He worked through them. He wants to work through us. So I want to look at some of the lives of the people and see how God used them to fulfill his purposes. First, there's Zacharias and Elizabeth. And turn with me. We're going to be going through some of the verses, primarily in, in Luke. Luke chapter 1 and verses 5 to 7. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, we read, "...in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years." So Zechariah was a priest of the tribe of Levi. We read here that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God. And God knew they were righteous because God is the one who made them righteous. And it says they walked blamelessly. They obeyed God. They did what God wanted them to do, which means they were not just righteous in the sight of God, but also righteous in the sight of men. That is, the people back then in general saw this Zechariah and Elizabeth as a godly couple. But they were childless. In those days, some thought that not having a child meant there was some sin in your life, there's some reason that God's not blessing you in this way, but that wasn't true. Because you see, and we're going to see this very quickly, God had very special plans for this couple. Well, what's special is that God wanted Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, this one who had been prophesied, predicted way back in Isaiah chapter 40, and also Malachi 3, to be, to be the one who would be a prophet. Be the forerunner of Jesus, a very special person. One we read about in, in, back in those chapters, but also in Luke 3. To prepare the way of the Lord. Verse 8 and 9 here in Luke chapter 1 says, Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. It just happened. It just happened that he was the priest on duty. And he was in charge, and it was by lot that he was chosen for that duty. So we see the sovereign working of God there, and later we see the supernatural power of God, for we, he enabled Elizabeth, who we understand from the text, was beyond childbearing years. He enabled her to become pregnant, so we see the miraculous working of God. Then go down to verse 39, same chapter, 39 to 45. This time Mary arose and went went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what God had spoken to her by the Lord. And so Elizabeth, now pregnant with, with her child, and, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit, we read. And God used Elizabeth at this time then to encourage young Mary, who had just found out that she was pregnant with the Messiah. And we go on, and we're not going to read this, we're going to read this later, but you go back further on, verses 67 to 79 in this text, and and and... From these verses, we see that Zechariah was not just a, a priest, but also a prophet, in that he was speaking forth the words of God. And in his prophecy, and again, we'll look at this later, it's obvious that Zechariah knew that this Messiah was to be one who'd be both a Savior and Redeemer. He understood that. He was a godly man. He also understood the promises of Abraham, that God was going to bless the Israelite people. That's what he was going to do. So the, the point here, and again, we're just going through these quickly, God used Elizabeth and Zechariah for his eternal purposes. Back to Luke chapter 1, and Luke, still in Luke 1, but back to 26 to 35. I love this section of verses. I want to read through the whole thing here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child should be called the Son of God." And so here's here we see that God used angels, and we know, understand we don't know how this works, but God used angels and and to announce to to Mary the this important news that was going to be taking place. This event about Jesus being born, and so God sent earth sent Earth. Uh, to, to send Gabriel to earth to communicate this very important message to this young woman who's probably in her early to mid-teens. It's interesting to think that think about this because we talk about God using people. God uses people of all ages, and that's one thing we see in these passages here that we're going to look at today. All ages of people God wants to use. And here's one, a young person, 13, 14, 15 maybe. says, Mary found favor with God. The word favor means grace. That's what it means. And God poured out a very special measure of his grace upon Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. He had chosen her. He had picked her, and she was surprised that you, you hear the stories that a lot of the young ladies back then, the ones who were godly, understood that, hey, there's going to be somebody who's going to be the mother. You go back to Isaiah 7:14, that prophecy, there's going to be somebody who's going to be the mother, and it was her. See, she was aware of this, but very surprised that God was going to bless her in this way. And even though she was young, and this is important too, she was young, but she understood God's word. She knew what God's word meant with regarding the Messiah, that he would be a savior and that he would be a king. What's emphasized in these verses here, what you see in this text that we just read, is not so much about him being a savior, saving people from their sins, but more so about being a king. Let me read again. It says, he will be great. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So we see that's that's what God told her, forty six to fifty five. I have to read this it's called the Magnificat, Luke one forty six to fifty five. We've talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah. Talked about the angels. Now we're going to talk about Mary. Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Again, this is called the Magnificat or Mary's song. And it shows us that Mary was a godly young woman. For her to pen these words at her age is amazing. We could spend at least one message on the text here. There's so much truth in here that we could extract and learn from. These verses make it clear that that Mary knew uh, the Lord in a very, very personal way, and she understood his character. Let me just mention eight different aspects of his character that are embedded in these few verses. He was mighty. The Lord is mighty. He was great. He was holy. He was just. He was powerful. He was merciful. He was good and faithful. She understood this all about the Lord. Might we be ones like this? We can say this like she said it right here. We see Mary's character. She was humble. And the fact that she said she was humble doesn't mean she was proud. She was humble. And I'm sure in her young life there she had been humbled many times. She was righteous. She feared God. She knew that she was forgiven. She was both a worshiper of God and a servant of God at her age. At her age. She knew her purpose was to give birth to the Messiah. But she also understood we don't think about this much. Maybe some of you women do. I haven't as much. She probably thought, well, I have to give birth, but I also have to raise this child. <laughs> raise this child. And that wouldn't have been easy. But she did it. And it wasn't, I don't say it wasn't easy because of Jesus. I mean, he, he's a perfect child. Perfect. Because she knew this is the Messiah, I've got to take care of this little baby who's going to be the, the savior of the world. And I cannot help but think there's fears and doubts. Can I be good enough to do this? And, but she did it. And, we, of course, we know the story. Jesus lived at home for how long? Until he was 30. She may not have known that, but for 30 years, then, she was there with him. And she was there, of course, when Jesus died on the cross, which must have been very hard for her. But I think, again, what she understood of this little Jesus, not just her physical son, but also the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And that's what helped her to see that. And and I I can't help believe that she knew that. We continue on. We talked briefly about Mary. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. God uses unbelievers for his purposes. We know this, but we must realize God's sovereignty here. Luke 2, verses 1 and 2. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, this is the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. God sovereignly raised up Caesar Augustus for this time to be the ruler of the Roman world and also Quirinius for this most important time. God is sovereign. We know this. many other verses that tell us how God raises up rulers and puts them down when he wants. When, he, when that is Jesus would come into this world for that time, Galatians chapter 4 says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. This was the fullness of time, God using these people here. And so God moved Caesar to take a census. That's what took place. It was God moving in his heart, for then Joseph and Mary would have to be born in Bethlehem, which is where he was to be born, because God had predicted, prophesied this way back hundreds of years before. Micah chapter 5, 2, we see that. But as you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you. One will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. So it had been predicted, been predicted. But God had to have it all set up. All this had to happen. Luke 2, 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of God. So he raised up Joseph, another person we see in this this drama, God's drama. Joseph, to be um, helping fulfill God's plans for Israel and for the redemption of mankind. But I want you to turn to Matthew 2. This tells us more information about Joseph. Matthew chapter 2, verses 18 to 25. And this is the most information we get about Joseph right here. But Matthew 2, verses 18 to 25. Excuse me, chapter 1. Chapter 1, 18. Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now that right there is my favorite Christmas story verse right there. Let me read it again. She will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph knew this. If he really comprehended it completely, but he understood, hey, this is the Messiah. He was a godly man. He knew the truth of the Old Testament word prophesied. It took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So here's Joseph. He was a believer. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. It says here that he was obedient. And godly people, if we're godly, we have to be ones who do what God tells us to do. And the angel came, and he believed and did what God wanted. It's obvious that Joseph loved God and loved Mary. Mary. He couldn't have done what he did if he didn't love God first. He loved God, loved Mary. We understand from the text that they were in Nazareth and had to go to Bethlehem, 80, 90 miles away. That's tough. That's hard. They might have had a donkey and camel or something. But to take your pregnant wife-to-be on that long journey, I mean, again, you don't have restaurants or hotels to stop in, and you don't have those things. That wasn't easy, but he did it. And then they got there, and again, this is a poor couple. There's evidence, other verses, they were poor. They didn't have much money. They couldn't stay at some fancy place. So they had to find this, this stable, which they found Joseph there, helping Mary give birth to Jesus. And just a few more things in the story, just giving the big picture. We know what happened from Luke as well, Matthew, excuse me, Matthew story, that Herod heard about this Jesus who was to be king and didn't like the idea he says, let's get rid of these baby boys two years and younger. And, of course, when Joseph heard that and Mary, they're thinking, that's us. They weren't thinking, oh, which baby is it out there? It's us. They said, we've got to get out of here. Now, this, I mean, again, you can imagine if you're the mother, if you're the father, if Joseph wasn't the father, but, you know, the stepfather, man, this is, this is difficult. And so they leave, and they go a long ways away. I mean, in terms of, for us, it may not be long, but Egypt, I mean, it's, that's a ways away to, to travel by foot and, or some animal and didn't have much money. I mean, that was a long ways away. They might have used some of the gold or silver they had gotten, gold rather, from the wise men. But they go down there. We don't know how long they go down there. The text tells us they were down there for a while, and they came back up, and then they had more problems because more bad rulers, but then they relocated, and they finally got relocated again in in Nazareth. But the point is, the thing I want you to see is that Joseph was running the thing at this time. He's helping his wife, providing for his wife, protecting his wife, making sure there are places to stay. That was his job, and he was doing a good job. had to have. Now, we don't know when all the other children came, but we understand from, I believe it's the Gospel of Luke, that Joseph and Mary had at least six other children. Four sons are, are, are na- literally named, and, and at least two, two daughters. Four sons, two daughters. Might have been more. The point is, it's a family of seven. That's a pretty good-sized family, right? Had to provide. What was he, a carpenter? Probably didn't make a lot of money, but they made it. They made it through all the years, and he was the one there, the husband leading the way there. Luke 2, we continue on. That's Joseph, now the shepherds. Back to Luke 2. I'm not going to read this part. Steve already read this. The point here is that God wanted the shepherds to be part of his eternal plan. I say eternal because, again, God wants you to be part of his eternal plan. It was eternal work. Shepherds were close to the bottom of the social ladder. They were uneducated and they were unskilled, but yet God wanted these men to be part of of his plan, to be witnesses, important witnesses, to testify to the truth that this Jesus, the Messiah, had been born. So you have, you have old people, you have young people, you have people that don't have much money or considered, hey, those shepherds, you know, they weren't looked upon very nicely back then, okay? They didn't have a lot of nice clothes, they didn't usually smell very good. These are these shepherds. They're the witnesses. Steve talked about the angel. The one angel came and told them this glorious news that the Savior had been born, and they had to have known this story. I mean, every most every Jew knew what the Bible said about the Old Testament, about the prophecies of the Messiah. But not every Jew believed it, okay? That's the thing. Because that was the culture. It was a religious culture back then, spiritual culture, synagogues. And some children probably forced to go. They heard the news. They understood. And so then the great host of angels, we don't know. How many? I, I have to think it's thousands. But, but can you imagine? I mean, put yourself in this, this position. There you are out in, the, out in the plains, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, the angels appear. And they're singing, and they're praising God, and so confirmation is given to these shepherds. And you can just wonder what they're thinking. Think about how they felt. Sort of, sort of in awe, maybe some fear, maybe some wonder, some joy. But again, this is only the prelude to the most important part for them. Because they were told that they were going to actually get to see the Messiah. We go to verses 15 and 16. I'll read those in this chapter, Luke 2, 15. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Good example. They didn't wait. And of course, if God tells us to do something, we should Do it with diligence. So they go there. They find the place where Jesus was at. This manger, lying in this manger. And there's the parents. And I assume some other animals lying around as well. Probably didn't smell the best. I mean, I don't know if any of you have been in a barn or out in the farm. I mean, I've been there. Didn't always smell so good, okay? That was his birthplace. But again, the shepherds knew the Messiah was coming. They were glad to be there. We continue on in this chapter, verses 17 to 20. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child, and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Jesus treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So they go out, and they tell others, that they had seen the Messiah. And, and you can imagine, here they are going out, you know, and it's, it's, it's you know, the, the hours, I don't know the exact hour, but still, they were going out and telling people what had happened. Not sure if they all believed him, probably not, but they believed that They were testifying. They were witnesses. They were to tell people the news that they had heard, and they too were glorifying and praising God. Again, this theme of glory appears in the verses here. So these shepherds were true believers. They were true believers. We continue on. So we've talked about Joseph and Mary, Elizabeth and Zacharias. We've talked about the angels, talked about the shepherds. Verse 25, the same chapter. There's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It'd been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would see, not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry, out, to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So here's Simeon. He lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. He was saved. He was a believer. But it also says there, it says two words. He was righteous and devout. The word devout literally is from a Greek word that means careful. And the whole idea was here, that he was a careful person in that he wanted to be careful to obey the Lord. He was a mature believer, not just righteous before God, not just saved and forgiven of his sins, but rather he was devout, careful to do what God wanted him to do. And Simeon was looking, it says, for the consolation of Israel. The word consolation means comfort or encouragement. He was looking for the Messiah to come. This was on his mind. He was thinking about the coming of of the Christ. That's what he was thinking. He knew that the Messiah would bring peace to the people in Israel in two ways. He understood this. He understood that it would be peace in terms of deliverance from spiritual enemies, sin, and also from physical enemies that they would have. And this all plays out as we can look back now as he plays out, not just back then, because most people back then didn't understand what God was going to do over the course of time. Plays out the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. The Holy Spirit had told Simeon that he would see the Messiah. I don't know how the Holy Spirit did that, but Simeon had this conviction. I'm going to see the Lord's Christ. It says there in verse 26, I'm going to see the Messiah. And, and uh, one day, the Spirit led Simeon into the temple in that area. And that same day, lo and behold, here comes Joseph and Mary. They want to circumcise their child. That's what's taking place here. He's, he's there. And they meet, and Simeon knows. I don't know, the Spirit again prompted his heart. He knew. And I don't know if Mary just gave Jesus into Simeon's arm, but all of a sudden he not had not just seen this little baby Jesus, but he was holding him in his arms. Can you imagine how precious that would be? I, I can't help but think, all of you here, if you were back then, can I hold Jesus? And you're thinking I'll make sure I'll hold him tight. I'll hold him, I'll hold him well. And so he was excited, he was encouraged that he had not only seen him, but held this one, this one who would bring forgiveness of people um, for their sins. And he understood the scriptures. He, and not, a lot, not every Jew understood this. He talks about both Gentile and Jew there in those verses. This, this Jesus is for the salvation of both Jew and Gentile for people all over the world. We continue in our text, Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. There's a prophetess. Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Not just Israel, Jerusalem. So here's 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 Anna she was a widow she was a prophetess not meaning that she predicted the word of God but rather she spoke the word of God and she too was looking for the coming of the Messiah that was on her heart and she again been a widow since she was young way back and probably in her 20s now she's 84 and she spent all her time and again it wasn't right in the temple inner court place it was a temple complex so she had a room there and that's where she lived and what's her ministry What's she doing all the time? She's praying and fasting. Man, what a heart for the Lord. And, and God blessed her heart, her faith. And she saw him, and she too knew. At that very moment, she came up. there, are simming with the Jesus and Joseph and Mary and began giving thanks to God. So she was like Joseph and Mary and like Zechariah and Elizabeth and like the shepherds. And like Simeon, they all had this in common. They're all looking for the coming of the Messiah. And she too, she knew the word, you could tell. Looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She understood the promises that God made to Abraham, that God would bless the Jews. She understood the promises made to David, that God would bless Israel with a king. And she understood the promise to Jeremiah, called the New Covenant, that God would bless his people by saving them from their sins. And so this redemption is speaking of deliverance. It means both a spiritual and physical deliverance. Again, the spiritual deliverance from their sin and the physical deliverance from their enemies. And again, this last deliverance is going to play out in the future, and we'll see this take place during the millennial kingdom. We've talked about these people that God chose for his purposes, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Joseph, and Mary, Simeon, and Anna, the shepherds, They're all righteous, and they're all humble, and they all belong to the remnant, the remnant. In this world, there's always only a remnant of believers, that is, a minority of the people who are saved. It says in the text, I think it's Matthew, many are called, but few are chosen. In this world, you sometimes look, what's going on? Why aren't more people turning to Christ? Well, God's told us, he's predicted, he says, we're the remnant. You and I, we're part of the remnant. So don't feel bad. Don't feel bad you're a minority. That's the way it's been. That's the way it's going to be. That's the way it was back then. you think all those Jews would have known, hey, this Messiah, I mean, we understood the rejection, with 33 years later, and they, I mean, a lot of them rejected him. And finally, the, the big rejection in 70 A.D., Jesus says, I'm going to destroy this place. And that's happened because they rejected him. So we had this remnant. And like these first century believers, we're to worship Christ, that's what we're to do, we're to worship this one who is the Savior and the coming King, and we're to be a witness. Just remember this for your lives, you're to worship and you're to witness, you're to work, you're to be a witness of who he is and what he has done for your life. This should always be in your mind, worshiping the Lord and being a witness for him, working for him. Just one thing, it's like a little perk because I mentioned to some of you already, but but back in September, I was planning on going. I was there, my hometown of Carroll, Iowa, and uh, getting ready to go to their classroom. And that very day, September 24th, Friday morning, I didn't feel good, tested positive for COVID at the local clinic there. And um, the verse I read that one of my quiet time, went back and looked at it. Luke 8:39 says, go home and tell them what great things God has done for you. Immediately, I knew what God wanted me to do. It says, go home, that is, go back to Tampa, and tell them, that is, tell your fellow classmates what great things God has done. It so happened that I had written a letter, a Christmas letter to him 45 years ago. It was, it, was, it was, I think, November, December of 1976. And so I talked to a couple of my classmates who were Christians. They were all excited. And one one, friend of mine from Minnesota sent me a 2 dollars check to help pay for the postage and everything else. Okay. And my other friend, he had a 2016 book that had all the addresses of fellow students. And so yesterday, in the last week, I spent pretty much half of yesterday just going through. And then there's also this thing with the library we can check people's addresses because I got to get the addresses and so i'm just doing that and my wife were signing the envelope so the point is we got to be witnesses what an opportunity uh to to write this letter to be a witness so the point is god gives us all opportunities we need to take advantage of of what he does give us we've talked about the christmas story we have talked about the supporting cast and the the main character of course is Jesus. I'm not gonna spend a long time talking about him, just a little bit of time. I'm gonna in fact and talk a lot more next Sunday, the twenty sixth, about his life. This baby born to Mary, and he was a perfect baby. And you mothers particularly think about this. A perfect baby, a perfect toddler, a perfect child, a perfect boy, a perfect teen teenager, a perfect young man. He was a perfect man. And Jesus took our sins upon himself to pay for our sins so we could be forgiven and so we could be righteous, so we could be children of God. That is, for all those who repented their sins and put their trust in him, that's, that's true for them, only those. It's just not some universal thing that he died for people's sins and everybody is saved Goes that's not it. He died for those whom he would save, who would put their faith in him. That's what he did. And the future, of course, we know this, many verses, we will be glorified. Our salvation at this point in time is not yet complete. Salvation when you leave this world, when you pass away, when you physically die, is not yet complete. We've had a couple of members of our church, Vicki and Linda, this past five, six months have went on to heaven. And they are perfect now, but they don't have their perfect body yet. And so this is just the salvation. It's, just, it's a wonderful thing that God Does for us. I want you to turn to uh, Psalm 73, then we'll come back and look at a few more verses of, uh, of Jesus. But these are becoming some of my favorite life verses. It's good to have life verses. I've talked to you about the big picture. As Christians, we must see the big picture. Many, many verses on this. But this verse here, and he had had some problems, the psalmist, in this chapter, because he was looking at the proud people and getting a little upset and mad and, you know, envious and why they doing so good and they're having it good. And, and um, this is what he says. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Those, those verses, those first three phrases, with you, you've taken hold of my right hand, your counsel, to you guide me. That's, that's a whole message right there. That this is your life. But you need to see this because sometimes life is hard and we need the promises of God that He's going to come through for us and that soon enough He will take us to glory. Let's go back to the text Luke chapter 1, verse 67 to 79. I want to read this here. This is Zechariah's and it focuses on the Lord Jesus, and there's so much truth here again. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace just a few thoughts here relates to the work of the lord this is about our salvation about what god and christ did for us what they are doing for us first there's god's holy covenant the promise from god the word covenant means promise that he would bless us god wants to bless your lives there's no doubt about that secondly there's redemption Dempation means to rediv- deliver or rescue. God wants to deliver you and rescue you from your enemies. Third, there's salvation, which means God needs to save us, and we don't deserve to be saved. In fact, we deserve to be damned and to go to hell. That's the truth. But God had mercy on us, and that's the next word. Mercy is just the word that that, that, that means God saw us in our sinful state and had pity. The idea of, of mercy is, is pity. That is, God had both the desire... And the means to save us from our sins. He loved us so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Read there about forgiveness, which means our sins are sent away, that they're gone forever. and Therefore, we are released. You might have heard of the scapegoat back in the Old Testament. You know, they would place their hands symbolically and get him out of here. He would be gone into the wilderness. He'd get rid of him. Your sins are gone I know one of Vicky's favorite verses, Psalm 103, 12, for as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. important to remember this because sometimes the devil plays with our minds and hearts and makes us feel like we are guilty. We're not guilty. We are completely, completely forgiven. The Christmas story is that Jesus was born as a baby and grew up to become a man. And because of his death and resurrection, can forgive us of all our sins. And then he will reign forever, and we will reign with him. Therefore, now we're to worship God in Christ. We're to love them with all our mind, soul, and strength. We're to be holy and righteous, it says here in this text here in Luke 1, and we're to serve Him. And I like how Jesus said to the devil in Matthew 4. This sums up our lives too. You shall serve the Lord. You shall worship the Lord and serve him. I mean, that's it. That's it. That's your life. You shall worship the Lord and serve him. Not long from now, Jesus will come back and rescue us from this evil earth. He will punish his enemies. He will save a remnant of Jews. And then he'll begin his reign over this world. And so what do we sum up for our lives? What can we say? First thing for us, second thing for the Lord. First is that, and I've said this many times, but I've I've looked at these people here. They're all here. These are all people that God picked and chose to serve him, to help carry out his plans. Again, I've said this, one of the most phenomenal things that encourages and motivates me as a person is to know that God has work for me to do. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's Ephesians 2.10. Way back eternity the past, he had, you, had his, your life planned out. The kind of person you are, where you live, who you'd be with the spiritual gifts you have, all that, so you could serve him. And so might this motivate you? God use these people, and God wants to use you too for his purposes. And finally, of course, glory to the Lord. Turn to Isaiah 9. You know these verses. Nine, chapter, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, again, talks about both his first and second coming very clear here. And again, the Jews are reading this, and this is why some were confused, because, wow, this is going to happen. Here he is. He better defeat these Roman soldiers that are running through our land. But the timing wasn't right back then. For a Savior, but not for a King. Verse 6. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word you've given us today, particularly in Luke chapter 1 and 2. We are so blessed to have your truth before us. that describes clearly what took place about 2,000 years ago. We read about these people that you use, God, for your work, and these were ones who are righteous and blameless by your grace. We can't do it on our own as we're saved by grace, so we live our lives by grace every day. It's, it's, it's a gift from you. And we thank you for that. I, I, I pray, Lord, that each of us here would be refreshed by your love for us, refreshed by the Spirit, encouraged and motivated, because sometimes we get tired or we get too busy with things we ought not to do or we sin in our lives, Lord, whatever. Lots of things can slow us down. As I read this morning Ephesians 6.10, our struggle is, is not against flesh and blood, but it's the world forces of darkness, the spiritual forces of weakness. We're in a spiritual battle. It's not easy. Very difficult. Sometimes it seems impossible, but we thank you. We have you, Lord Jesus. You saved us by your grace and now help us to live for you by grace. I just pray for each one here, God, that you would help them fulfill the ministry that you have given them, God, for their lives. And, and finally, Father, we thank you for doing all this. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, as, as the Godhead, as the Trinity, all have your part in, in this eternal drama and our eternal salvation. We give the glory to you, the praise and the honor to you. Might this every day uh, be on our hearts. We can easily complain and be thankless and, and grumble, be upset about something. We have no reason. We have no reason at all. We have so many reasons to rejoice and be thankful, to be excited and to, to worship you. Thank you, Lord, that you're sovereign. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're full faithful and holy and mighty and, and you're working all things together for good. We, we look forward to serving you. We also look forward to your coming. As those we talked about were looking for your coming back then, not knowing the timing of all events, God, now we look forward to your coming, your second coming. And as it says in First Thessalonians 1, might we then be ones who are working and waiting for you. Thank you again, Lord, for this time, this Christmas season. Might your blessing be upon each one of us here. And Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We glorify you. We love you. We thank you for who you are and all that you've done for us.